0: Patrick Stokes is an associate professor of philosophy at Deakin University in Australia, and he's devoted much of his research to understanding certain aspects of human identity and selfhood. His most recent study is titled Digital Souls, and it's caused quite a stir. Dr. Stokes looks at how we're handling those who have died, the internet, and our longing to stay connected. As we say, he's based in Australia, but he begins his book right here in northeastern Pennsylvania in Dunmore. He tells the story of friends of Dunmore resident Jack Feris who received email messages from Jack some months after, he had died. Stokes isn't really interested in the how of the emails, he gives several plausible explanations, but he uses the incident as a way to examine how we as humans long to stay connected with those we love who have passed away. He looks back in American history and tells us, in 1825 Samuel Morse had been painting a commissioned portrait of the Marquis de Lafayette in Washington, D.C., when a horse messenger brought word from New York that Morse's wife Lucretia was ill. The next day, another message arrived to say Lucretia had died. Morse left immediately, but by the time he got home, Lucretia had already been buried. We cannot say, though this has never stopped people from speculating, to what extent this tragedy inspired Morse to overcome the problem of communication over distance. What we can say is that the problems of delayed communication and death were lived, painful parts of Morse's own experience, and that his invention became, due to surprising historical contingencies, bound up in the cultural imaginary with the idea of an invisible world beyond. That association of the dead with electronic communication lingered right throughout the 20th century, according to Stokes. Near the end of his life, Thomas Edison was speculating to reporters about the possibility of building a machine so sensitive it could communicate with the dead. Both Edison and Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of the telephone, experimented with telepathy by winding wires around people's heads. It didn't work. Many people found the telephone unsettling and even creepy the first time they heard it, reminiscent of the mysterious disembodied voices of the séance room. In particular, the entirely new phenomenon of white noise unnerved early telephone users. Some came to interpret these sounds as somehow connected to or even communications. From the afterlife. Words of Patrick Stokes from his study, Digital Souls. And Dr. Stokes in this study even talks about a new phenomenon, the wind phone. And the wind phone brings us right back to where Stokes begins, and that's Dunmore, Pennsylvania. There is an historic cemetery in Dunmore that is almost 200 years old. For nearly 20 of those years, Julie Este and the dearly departed players have been leading tours of the cemetery each October. What's fascinating is that those who take part in the tour do receive communications from those who have passed on, but they are in the form of theatrical monologues or short scenes relaying something of the history of the region and or their own stories and even offering advice to those passing through in the 21st century, much as Jack Faris did in his emails to friends. Julie and the players don't rely on electronic devices to make an impact, though they might use microphones so people can hear better. No, rather, it's all in the acting, the costuming, and a prop here and there, and especially in the creative writing of Giulieste. As it happens, the Dunmore Cemetery tour, taking place on October 1st and 8th, will introduce wind phones, the phenomenon Dr. Stokes discusses in his study. Julie Esty is founder and artistic director of the Dearly Departed Players, and we had a chance to talk with her about the annual tour.
1: What happens is people congregate at the cemetery gate, and they have been now for the last, 17 years, it's almost two decades that the Dearly Departed players have been out in the cemetery, and they do go on a walking tour through the cemetery, but they go from step to step, and what they get is a person, 99% of the time, they're getting someone who is buried in the cemetery, and that person is in costume, and they do a first person, and they tell their story, like, you know, a brief story of their life, or about an interesting incident in their life or death. And then you go on and you get your next person. So this year there are, I believe, 13 stops on the tour. And they're all different. Every year the tour changes.
0: And it has caught on, Julie, to the extent that people want to come from out of the area because it's not what generally happens on a cemetery tour.
1: Yeah, we've had people come specifically for that tour all the way from Canada. They're coming from all over the country at this point. So, it is. It's a very unique event. It, what it is is it's site specific promenade and environmental theater. And as you're walking through the cemetery, most people don't realize that, but you really are getting a unique historical, theatrical experience going through the cemetery that really doesn't happen in a lot of places.
0: You have a wonderful gift yourself for research and writing. So, you have a file that is full of people and you draw on them when it's appropriate.
1: Exactly. This is now over two decades of research. So I have file cabinets filled with people that I could use on a tour. But oftentimes what it turns out to be is the thrill of the hunt. Like I'm always searching for new people because it just, you know, sometimes there's a theme, sometimes there's not. This particular year, I can't even say that there's a theme, but what it is, is it's nobody famous. They're all regular people with very regular real-life stories that we all experience. And some of them have very important messages for the audience to take away with them. It's just it's like building a new city every year between researching, writing, costuming it, getting the cast out there. It it becomes a a different city every year. And this this is the citizens and people walk through and they meet them.
0: And Julie, what about the time frame? How old is the cemetery and how far back have you gone?
1: The cemetery goes back before the Civil War. People were burying up in the quarter acre. The first burial is noted to be Gabriel Dunning. Nobody knows exactly where Gabriel is. And that was, I believe, sometime before the Civil War. Nobody knows exactly where he is. We kind of have a roundabout as a section because that's what's been passed down over all these many years. But some of them go very far back. And, you know, if I can find stuff on them or if one of them strikes my fancy or hollers out as I'm driving by or walking around, you know, I'll check them out and see what the story is and mark their information down because you just never know when you're going to need that particular person.
0: (laughs) Maybe not this time, but the longevity of the tour allows people... To have gotten to know some of your characters, some of these citizens of the Dunmore Cemetery, and they really have taken a shine to them and want you to bring them back sometimes.
1: Yeah, that happens. We've got some regulars that, that people just love, like the Zimmers who were killed in a train crash. We haven't put them out there in quite a while. The people love them, and it's interesting. Like, Nelson and I can be out doing an event somewhere as to totally... We can just be regular citizens from the past, and people will come running up to us, and they tell us who we are, what we did, what happened to us. And it's it's really cool for us because that's when we realize that we've done a really good job of teaching local history over all these many years.
0: And it sounds like a cliche, but you're bringing history to life because history is made by people. And so when you bring the people who make the history to life, and it doesn't have to be anybody famous, that really is giving us a palpable sense of the history of the region.
1: Yes, it does. And, and it is a very interesting region. I don't think a lot of people realize that so many people and events here connected to national history and even international history. It's like the Dunmore Cemetery is the center of a wheel. And these people just spoke off. And when you start researching, you realize, like, it wasn't just this little area of the Lackawanna Valley. These people had connections and incidents in their life that took place everywhere.
0: Now, you told me that one of your citizens this year had a tie to the Titanic.
1: Yes. One of our people from the past this year is a teacher and his roommate. In college, went on to be a very famous painter, and his roommate died on the Titanic. So he talks about, you know, his time with his roommate, and he had um, a poem that was really significant in his life, this person that we're talking about that's in the cemetery from the past, about people who die at their post. And the last time his roommate was seen on the Titanic was helping women and children into a lifeboat. And it's like, well, you know, he died at his post. And, like, the teacher died after teaching a class. He died at his post. And really, don't we all? all whether we're, we're teachers, doctors, nurses, housewives, moms, dads, sisters, in the end, we all die at our post, whatever that post may be. So he's going he's gonna to talk about that and talk about his roommate who did pass in the sinking of the Titanic.
0: And speaking of teacher's Julie, you're going to remember one of your very own teachers.
1: I am, and I, people have been asking me to do this for many years, almost since she passed. A lovely woman who wrote the book, The Gravity, on the Gravity Railroad, Mary Teresa Connolly was my 8th grade history teacher. And we were great friends until uh, till the day she died. And, you know, she imparted different incidents in her life, that really could help people today. So I am finally after all these years going to go out there and I am going to be TC, the woman who who really sparked me on on the path that I'm on today. She's part of she's a great part of the reason that I do what I do and she is not buried in the Dunmore cemetery. She's buried up the road a bit, but TC spent an awful lot of time like myself researching and writing about the people who are at rest in the Dunmore Cemetery. And she was a wonderful, a wonderful Dunmorian. So you know what, after, after all these years, I'm just going to go out there and do it. And in her final educational moment, she's got some information that she wants to pass on that's very important to a lot of people that are going to be in that audience.
0: And you mentioned a book that you have. Tell us about what you've been working on book form.
1: Oh, I have a new one out. I've been working on this one for a while. A few years back, I wrote a book called Murder in Scranton. And in it, I addressed a couple of different murders that happened early in the 1900s. And there were two women that I addressed who who died in in relatively similar circumstances. And that was that, I thought. And as time went on, I started looking at some other things, and I see that between 1902 and 1905, it wasn't just two women that died in these similar circumstances. It was actually four of them. And in the end, when it was all said and done, like, these women weren't the highest class citizens. In fact, the last two, I would say, were fallen angels, working ladies, soil doves, whatever you want to call them. They were, they were very likely drug-addicted. They're not living the best life. They're, they're working the streets in downtown Scranton, and they end up bludgeoned about the head with an axe. And a man who committed suicide was blamed for these murders. In my research, I found out that two doors away from them was living a man who was executed for murder, a very similar murder in the state of New York. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe somebody got blamed for, yeah, maybe you hung out with them, maybe you drank with them, but murdering them is a whole other story, especially when you find out that you've got somebody who ends up being executed for a similar crime living two doors away. You know, maybe there was another possibility. So I know it's a long time ago, but you know what? Sometimes you just got to leave yourself open to those alternative possibilities. This man was within two blocks of where one of the women worked, and he was within five blocks of where another woman was found. So he was right in the vicinity of all four of these women. I'm just tossing it out there. (laughs) And, you know, all those years ago, between 1902 and 1905, let's just put it this way, and it's nothing against the police or law enforcement or anything like that, it's just that they did not have the tools available to them that we have today. The chances that they were really going to solve this were so slim, and it's it's not their fault. On another note, we do have a very interesting person on the tour this year in law enforcement. He was one of the first state troopers in the state of Pennsylvania. He goes on to be their commissioner, and he gets involved in investigating this kidnapping case for a, a very young child in New Jersey. Well, because of his... Investigating this case in New Jersey and bringing it to a resolution. When the Lindbergh baby is kidnapped, people investigating that get a hold of this man who is now buried in the Dunmore Cemetery. And I got in touch with the State Police Museum down in Harrisburg and a couple of, you know, their commissioner now. And honestly, they were so so helpful. On at least one of the tour days. They're sending an honor guard out for this person from the past, and they're going to send out one of their cars to sit out there during the tour for their former commissioner-slash-state policeman. And it's it's really kind of cool.
0: You're always doing work on behalf of people who no longer can speak for themselves or who may have been overlooked or forgotten in that way. Tell us about wind phones.
1: We are going to put a few phones in the cemetery and people can pick them up and use them or maybe not. But we discovered wind phones. Honestly, it's, it's, it's strange how things just come up. But I was with my daughter this weekend and a very dear friend and they came up in conversation and my friend and my daughter said, you know what, you should put those out on the tour. And what they are is, from what we can determine is after the tsunami years back in Japan, a man put up this this beautiful, it looks like a pagoda slash telephone booth, and he put a phone in it. And that helped him through his grief at the loss of his cousin. Because think about it, all of these people are out there, and how many of them were lost and bodies were never recovered, and so many people didn't get a chance to say goodbye. So he put this phone out, and... Like I said, I I guess it helped him with his grief. But when we looked at it, we're starting to see that wind phones are popping up in other countries. And basically what they are is a phone, a telephone, that is not connected to anything. It's a phone. But you can pick that phone up and you can talk to your deceased loved one and say what you want. And sometimes we need to vocalize that. And sometimes some people just can't stand and say that at a grave. But maybe if they pick up a telephone, they can say what they need to say. And we don't know if anyone is going to use the phones in the cemetery, but we are going to put them there. We've discovered that there is a cemetery in Raleigh, North Carolina, I believe it is, that has a permanent one so that at any point if somebody feels the need to... Speak to someone who was passed on or, or vocalized, whatever. And I had another person come to me, and when they looked at it, they said, this would be a lovely thing to put in their church. So we're going to put the wind phones out there. And it's kind of a progressive thing. When I first looked at it, I thought, you know, it reminds me of something Yoko Ono would do like that. She was very, progress- well, she is very progressive in art and the things that she does. And it, I, I don't know if anybody's going to understand this. But we are going to put the phones out there, and for two days out of this year, the Dunmore Cemetery will be a wind phone station. We will have the phones. We'll have tissues. We'll have hand sanitizers. You know, we'll have a seat for people to sit. And if there's anybody who just needs to, to sneak away and sit down and vocalize something to someone that they loved, hopefully the wind will carry it and that message will get there.
0: The wind is doing the carrying of the message.
1: We're trying. We know that some people are probably going to think that we're crazy. But over all of these years that we're doing the tour, we've become very aware of something that for a lot of years we didn't know. Like we thought we were just like a history, culture kind of thing. People are starting to come to us now saying how much comfort we're bringing them and how much hope we bring them. We're starting to, de- well, we have been since COVID. We've been decorating the cemetery in a harvest theme, and a lot of organizations are starting to come along and help decorate mausoleums and graves. We have more people this year. They said, people are telling us that just driving into the cemetery and seeing the harvest decorations gives them so much comfort. Like, they come in for funerals, they see these decorations, and they're all tastefully done. You know, they're hay bales and, and the beautiful colors of autumn, autumn leaves and stuff like that. And we're providing comfort to people who have lost family members or whoever. So we thought, well, you know what, we're going to put it out there with the wind phones. And like I said, for two days this year, the Dunmore Cemetery will be a wind phone station. You sit down and you dial that phone number that you haven't been able to dial in years because we all remember them. I remember my mom and dad's phone number. I haven't punched it into a telephone in years, but you know what? Even though there's no dial tone or whatever, like to just pick that up for somebody and punch in that number and maybe be able to say goodbye or I remember or I love you or maybe it's not even a person. Maybe it's a pet. You know, grief comes in in so many different forms. So you know what? At the very least, the phones will be out there. People can use them. They cannot. If they don't use them, if nobody picks those phones up, at least they, they're a reminder that your loved ones in some way are always still here. They're just that close as a, as a phone call away. Might not seem it sometimes, but I'm willing to bet that they are.
0: Today, don't you think people still try to avoid, especially with all our devices, try to, to distract ourselves from our mortality?
1: Yeah, I do. I do think we don't want to think about it. And the bottom line is, it comes to all of us. And I'm going to hang on after all these years in the cemetery. I'm going to hang on and say that there's more to it all. And we're all going to see each other again. And, you know, it's just going to be wonderful. And, and you know what? If somebody needs to pick up a phone to get that, just that little bit of hope, then you know what? We're going to have a phone there for you.
0: Then tell us the particulars, where we find you, how we join you.
1: Okay, we are in the Dunmore Cemetery, which is at 400 Church Street in Dunmore, Pennsylvania. We will be there on October 1st and 8th at 2 o'clock. And that's when when the tours start, 2 o'clock. There's just one tour on each one of those days. Admission is free. You gather at the gate. A whole lot of people will be coming in because they always do. And at 2 o'clock, I say, let's roll. And that's it. You start on your little walking tour through the cemetery. It usually takes about two hours. Admission is free. You don't need any reservations. If anybody has any questions and they need to call me, they can call me at 570-344-3819. We'll be glad to. we've answered questions from how much is it to what's the nearest and best hotel. Feel free to call us. Look for us on Facebook at the Dunmore Cemetery Tour. We will be there, and we are waiting to see everybody.
0: Julie Esty, founder and artistic director of the Dearly Departed Players, speaking with us about the annual Dunmore Cemetery Tour, taking place on October 1st and 8th, those are Sundays, at 2 o'clock, 400 Church Street. That's the address of the cemetery, and it is free. 2 o'clock sharp, that's when Julie says, let's roll, and the tour begins. For more information on the web, facebook.com slash the Dunmore Cemetery Tour. facebook.com slash the Dunmore Cemetery Tour. The annual Dunmore Cemetery Tour presented by the dearly departed players under the artistic direction of Julie Esty, taking place Sunday, October 1st, and again Sunday, October 8th at 2 o'clock, at the cemetery 400 church street admission is free for more information on the web facebook.com slash the dunmore cemetery tour